Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to a jerry-rigged episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I heard that little laugh over there, Aaron. You know how uh, we just kind of had to put this together, put this one together with band aids and bailing wire. But yeah. It, so yeah. So last week we we mentioned my transmission going out on the way to meet you. This was the interview for that yeah. day. Yeah. But then I obviously had all the equipment, and yeah. so you didn't because you engineer this thing, man. You're the guy. That's one thing I really, really. One of the many things that I appreciate you about you is that when I show up for a, a podcast recording session, man, you've got mics set up, you've got it all. You, you got headphones, you got wires, you got switches, you got stuff I don't understand. <laughs> well, most of it doesn't do anything, but I love the way it looks and it creates a vibe. Uh, I'm actually just recording on my phone that's sitting on the middle of the table. The rest is fake. <laughs> But you showed up and had to just record this on your laptop, uh, sitting between you and our guest. And I was so disappointed to not get to meet this guest. Tell tell people what they're in for today. Yeah, well, I don't want to I don't want to tip it too soon because we do uh, we cover a lot of it in the interview. But I was you know earlier in the day I'd been invited to a meeting. Uh, with some guys who were in town taking meetings around a film and book project. And that's all I knew. Uh, and, and then, uh, uh, yeah, I just found myself in the middle of a fascinating conversation with Tim Roundtree and his friend Chris. Uh, and, uh, uh, and in very, very uh, deep water quickly because they were here to talk about uh, their experience, their ministry, their work, uh, and their you know their their life trauma, Tim's especially, around childhood sexual abuse. What a what a heavy topic that is. Mm. So, um, <clears throat> but this is a this is a redemption story. Um, it I think our listeners are going to find it. Uh, challenging, enlightening. Uh, I look forward to talking with you about it when the conversation is over. What do you say we get straight to the interview? Let's do it. Here okay. we go. We'll, we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, while we're doing this old school, I'm doing it without Aaron. Uh, we're recording on a laptop, but I'll tell you what, the opportunity to interview today's guest was too good to let pass. He's in Franklin just for a couple of days, taking meetings. I uh, had the privilege of meeting him yesterday. Tim Roundtree's with me. Welcome, Tim. Welcome. Thank you. And he's here with his his good friend, his brother, Chris Burgess, sitting over there quietly taking notes. I hope you write nice things there, yes. Chris. Oh. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
Well, uh, Tim and Chris are working on a project we'll get to later. Um, but yours, Tim, is a story of uh, sex, uh, 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 what are we going to call it? Abuse? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ch- uh, the survival. You're a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Yes, sir. Okay. A dark story. Mm-hmm that God has redeemed and appointed you to an unusual but uh, badly needed ministry. Amen. Yeah. Okay. So uh, tell us your story. How? So right now, I guess if I am going to, you're, you're an odd duck. You are a detective. Uh, yes, I am a detective. You're like a tatted up tough guy. You're a big man. I am not small. Okay. And right. I don't have a lot of clean skin left. In- <laughs> <laughs> I'm running out of real estate is what they call it in the business. Okay. I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot left. I got to be very choosy. All right. Okay. So you're an imposing person. You are also a pastor. I am. I'm, I've had the honor for the last five years to be uh, a church plant pastor in North Dallas. It's uh, our Oak Cliff area. It, uh-huh. it would remind you a lot of Franklin okay. with a few more tattoos. <laughs> uh, so it's very Franklin-like. Yeah. Um, and that has been some of the most edifying and beautiful five years to see a guy that would laugh you out of a room five years and one day ago if you uh-huh. said you're going to be a pastor yeah yeah uh, a teaching pastor and then now know like I, I think this is this has been the greatest joy of my adult life wow yeah wow 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 well let's wind the tape way back to uh let's see how old of a guy are you i'm 34 years old Th- really don't let the face fool you it's seen a lot of miles <laughs> Uh, I don't, right. I don't get carded. <laughs> All right. Okay. So let's, let's wind, uh, the, the tape back about 33 years, uh, 34 it. years into what sort of a situation did you arrive on this planet? So I was born to, uh, amazing parents mm-hmm. and they are the salt of the earth. They are my dad, the pastor at a local church. My mom oh, really? is, yeah, it's, it's a, I think I'm a fourth generation pastor. So okay. The idea that I didn't think I was going to be a pastor does sound a little silly out loud now. <laughs> uh, but born to great parents, um, and uh, mom's mom is the just the salt and the, the foundation. The, the, the way she views scripture and, and breathes out uh, encouragement and love is sustaining. Literally, I'm here today because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was I was born into a family. They both worked and. Uh, I was placed into a daycare. Okay. And that's where really my story starts. I was, I was, I was placed into a home daycare uh-huh. and that's where my abuser was. Oh no. Um, and really over the course of the next nine years. So I was there from birth. Like as soon as mom went back to work, um, I grew up in that home. It was a home away from home that, that, that babysitter, that, mo- that woman was my second mother. Uh, and around the age of three, uh, as we so often see, um, at that age, the abuser, her son, kind of took a liking to me. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest is is sadly not uh, a too uh, too much of an unheard story. The grooming started, uh, inappropriate touching, uh, uh, inundated with pornography. Where where, really? pornog- where pornography was not the group the grooming mechanism. Fear was. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of fear, and by the age of three. Um, the grooming took hold. And by the time I was four or five, anything you could do to a boy, he was doing to me and full on sexual assault really for the next five years Oh my! until I made my outcry. Um, mm-hmm. 
which we can always circle back to that that point. Yeah. Name, but I made my outcry of saying, hey, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm, this is not the life. It's not worth it. I'm not doing it. I didn't have all the answers. Um, I didn't I didn't have a plan. I didn't have uh, a, an escape route. I, I just knew that if I told somebody, it couldn't get worse. Right. I was right, counting right. on it not getting worse. And I told those parents I just told you about that were the salt of the earth. And uh, one of the, the fruit and the graces of my story and really the, the key to the redemption plan that God unfolds is from the second I uttered help. Yeah. My parents surrounded, supported and loved unconditionally and they've never, they've never stopped. They've never wavered. Mm. It has been a, a blessing that a lot of people don't get. Yeah. And I don't take it for granted for a second that yeah. uh, my story is inundated. And we've talked about it at length in these meetings and everything that God, God shows up in a lot of miraculous ways. And a lot of times God just shows up in people. Yeah. And yeah. he surrounded me with parents that loved and supported uh, me and, and, and made sure that uh, as, wet, as best they could. You remember, we're talking in the 90s now. This isn't 2021 where the game has changed. We've edified, we've educated, we've advocated for child abuse. And right. it looks like there's no blueprint in the 90s. You're on your own. Yeah. They did the best they could. And, and from there, um, they did what they could to start the healing process as Unfortunately, it's not easy. It's not that easy. But yeah. we start, and the, the the prosecution, the police department, all that goes in. Court goes in, and all that kind of stuff. And, right. And and we start making our way uh, out of that abuse cycle, and uh, the healing began. Yeah. Uh, but as we know, I mean, the healing is actually where it starts. That's where the battle starts. Yeah. 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 So the actual physical abuse comes to an end, mercifully. Yes. Uh, your parents listen, believe you, take mm-hmm. steps. Yes. Um, but now there are residual effects. Everlasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How would you say, uh, it sounds to me as though you're still coming to recognize some of the effects of that childhood. Abuse. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how would you say that your adolescence and early adulthood uh, what, what were affected, but where, what kind of, uh, effects started to crop up? Man, I, I often debate, I don't know what was first. So the, the first two decades is like what, one to 20. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And my abuse stopped at age nine. So the right. first decade is, is full of actual abuse, literal abuse, criminal abuse. And then really 10 and the court cases over at 11. So 11 through 20 is what I'd call the desert or the aftermath. And I, I honestly cannot tell you which decade was worse. Oh, which really? Sounds, which sounds foolish to people. When you say that, they're like, well, Tim, the part where you weren't getting abused was the better part. You're like, that's just not how abuse works. That's not how yeah. tragedy works. That's not how brokenness works. Brokenness doesn't just end the second an actual act stops. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of times the ramification of that act ripples in to decades later. Like you said, I'm still 33 or I'm, I'm 44. Sorry. And, uh, I'm daily processing my mental health because of that, that aftermath, that decade afterwards. So, um, part of the process of, of outcrying and seeking help and, and the investigation and the prosecution and the court is you always have this next step. You have this next thing to look forward to. But for me at 11, the court case was over. Uh, my, my abuser was found guilty. So I had that. I yeah. didn't really know. I, I honestly, at that point, I didn't know if that was important or if I even cared. I'm 11. Right. I just know that, okay, we're going to start to get this behind me. Right. And I think nothing's forward. Everything's behind. That's what I think. And the dust settles. 
And that's where the war, the war for my heart starts. I think like I, you, you see by age 12 to 13, I have a rapid, uh, weight gain through the throes of eating disorder. Um, and I, I skyrocket up to close to 400 pounds by the time I'm 13. No. Yeah, it, it is. It is very much, um, one of the visceral visual things I can see and look at the unhealth and the, and the, 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 the pains of depression in a physical form, like, right, right. um, the weight gain, um, not really pertinent to the abuse, but I'm also battling output dyslexia at this time. So I'm, I'm, I've been placed into special ed at okay. school because in the nineties, they don't know what to do with that. Right. Um, so I'm dealing with the trauma of abuse, the depression I'm in therapy. Therapy's not what it is today. It's not all inclusive. It's not holistic. I'm not talking a lot. So therapy's not doing anything. Uh, I'm 400 pounds, uh, later to find out through a lot of psychosomatic stress problem, stress, I'm losing my hair at 14. So I'm bald by 14. Uh, wow. like you, you just, at some point you have to laugh, right? At some yeah. point you have to say like, we, we can laugh at this. You have, <laughs> I don't want to get too heavy for the audience. I know they're conditioned and they're strong, but at some yeah, point yeah. you're like the 400 pound bald depressed kid is a yeah. lot. Um, and that's really where I waged the war of like, what's going on? Like, and, and it dawned on me uh, later on, probably into my first few years of college, that my abuser was having just as much of effect on my daily life mm-hmm. as he did when he was abusing me. Right. Yeah. Like the, the act had stopped. The consequences of the act were in full effect. Right, right. Nothing had changed. I was still depressed. I was still isolated. I was, I was morbidly unhealthy. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I had people luckily come around, come alongside me and say like, Hey, we don't know what you're going through, but you're at 400 pounds. Now you're not going to make it to 20. Yeah. Yeah. So I made some lifestyle changes. I decided I wasn't in any way fully flushing out my health yet, but I, I kind of dealt with the problem in front of me first. Like mm-hmm. therapy may come later. I have to make it to 20. So I start <laughs> to lose, I start to lose weight at a pretty rapid rate. I lose about a hundred pounds the first year from age 15 to 16. Right. And then by the time I'm 18, I'm down to probably around 230 pounds. Okay. So 170 pounds total. Um, really starting to uh, cling to what we later find out is just the God-given community. I had friends that came alongside me mm-hmm. um, that didn't know my story, didn't know what I was going through, but knew and loved me yeah. and said, we, we don't understand what's making you tick the way you are. You seem brooding. You seem sad. You seem depressed. Something's not right, but we're going to love you for who you are. And then through some of that community, um, you see me kind of almost – the, the, the chains of depression start to, to lessen and lessen. Yeah, I'm in yeah. college now. I'm starting to be able to almost understand what I've gone through mm-hmm. in a sense, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time realizing like what the first decade led to the second decade. And right. if I want the third decade to look any different, I got to, I got to take health seriously. I got to take my mental health seriously. I gotta take my physical health seriously. I meet my wife in college. Mm-hmm. She is the love of my life, but a godsend, like yeah. the absolute encourager and supporter. She will tell you she was designed, um, especially <laughs> uh, uniquely designed and called to support this kind of broken. Yeah. Like this yeah. specifically, like I'm going to check on you. I'm going to continue to check on you. When you tell me, all right, I'm going to call bullshit because you're yeah. not all right. And then we're going to really get into it. We're going to really get into it. Yeah. Uh, we, like I said, we've taken a lot of meetings about all the big projects that we pray that God's hands are on. And she'll call me periodically and say, Hey, you are not defined by the meetings in Nashville. I love you. Go. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like powerful stuff. Like, wow. Hey, how's the meetings going? Oh, they're going pretty good. There's a lot of pitches going on, a lot of ideas. Yeah. Just remember, you're not defined by those pitches. You're not defined. You're not defined. 
by the the trauma in your life. You're not defined that's by beautiful. what someone did to you. You're defined by the God you serve. Yeah. Love you. Got to go with the kids. Wow. So that's that's the kind of community and the kind of restoration I was able to see later on. And I mean, I don't know how much you want to get into the details after that, but things things got interesting in my adolescence or my after college uh, young adult life, where uh, I decided, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna dedicate my life to service. I'm gonna become a police officer. Okay. Um, Take uh, us there. All right. I'm, so I would love, I would love to tell your audience. This would be the best podcast, uh, one two punch, right? Where I say <laughs> this brokenness happened, uh, and through the redemption of this brokenness, I had this watershed moment in my tears at eighteen, yeah. where I pick my head up and I say, I'm gonna dedicate my life yeah. to the next generation of child abuse survivors by becoming a police officer and then a detective who specializes in abuse. And that would be super cool. It would be a complete lie, but <laughs> it, would be, it would be so cool. A screenwriter will probably pitch that at yeah, some point. Yeah, and, at some point, and, and then we'll just make sure this podcast never sees a lot of <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, so no, I, I needed I needed some money. I didn't yeah. come I didn't come from means, so I needed yeah. to be able to pay for that Wi-Fi I just bragged about. Yeah. And uh, police were hiring, and yeah. I was pretty good at kicking doors. So uh, I did that for a while, and I still didn't have that aha moment. Um, but I love serving people. And yeah. the idea, and, and you, I mean, there's all kinds of opinions on yeah. law enforcement in 2021, but the idea of law enforcement is there are people out there that need your help. Yeah, right. And they can't help themselves. Yeah. That's the that's the fundamental truth of law enforcement, or at least it should be. Right. It is there is a weak person out there, right. weak defined by whatever. And I yeah. don't mean that as a, as a negative thing, but there's yeah. someone who's calling for help. Yep. You're going to step into that gap and you're going to help them. Right. And that obviously speaks to the the essence of what I'd seen in my first 20 years. I needed that. Yep. Other people need that. I'm going to fill that goal. Right. Fast forward through just divine intervention. And that's a nice way of saying, God saying like, hey, dummy, I put you in some pretty <laughs> cool places. I need you to open your eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point, open your eyes. And uh, I was able at, uh, in my in my late 20s, I made detective and I was able to get assigned to the Crimes Against Children unit. And things just clicked of like, oh my God, I was formed for this. Yeah. I was, I was born. I was created yeah for this this is not a, a job an occupation this is a holy calling yeah that you now are invested i'm i am the hometown dude so i i work at a city that inv- i i am in the unit that investigated my child abuse case wow yeah like wow i worked with the guys for a short time for my first two years in the unit i worked with the guys that in in, in uh investigated my case wow wow like, Wow. Complete full circle. Like the whole magnet magnitude of God's sovereignty <laughs> laying at your feet. Yeah, and I, I yeah. get to walk into that every day. Every yeah. day I get to walk in, sit at my desk and say, the people who sat at this desk before me gave me an opportunity for a life I never thought I would actually get at age nine. Yeah. And now yeah. I get to reciprocate that every hour of every day. And yeah. it is beautiful. It is yeah. there's no other way to define it than God's sovereign, beautiful grace. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So um, let me ask you this. When, when you get the phone call or you get the tip or I don't know, whatever brings you into the case. Phone call or report. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how often when you walk into a room and you see a child, do you see yourself? I do. I think often. Yeah. Because I think you see, you, you, you don't even see relief yet. Uh-huh. Cause they're not, they're not at the relief point. They yeah. start the ball rolling for relief. What yeah. you see is panic in the wake of the unknown. 
Right. You don't know what this dude's going to do. You don't know what mom's going to do. Right. Because the industry has changed, right? We are a we are a fast, aggressive unit in child abuse, and that's kind of industry standard now. Like, if a child makes an outcry, yeah, we are a day of response. Oh, really? Yeah, like especially we deem we do everything by access. So if you outcry or you tell about something where the suspect has any kind of access, mm-hmm. we are not going home until I can guarantee on a legal level your safety. Wow. So that means you've been separated or bad guys in jail and preference is bad guy in jail. Uh-huh. So there's an immediacy to it. So like I'm not walking in 48 hours after everyone started to at least hone in on this. Right. There are times that a child will go to their counselor, their teacher, their mom, yeah. uh, anyone they feel safe. They tell the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And within 15 minutes, I'm in the front door. With wow. My team, with, a, with a partner, with a team. So there's a there's a rawness there mm-hmm. where you're not, this kid's not like, oh, thank God the cops are here. There's like, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it in the next five minutes. Yeah. And there's the beauty of, and I might not literally say these words, but I have, but I will get down on their level and say, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I've been where you've been. All you got to do is trust me. Mm-hmm. You're going to be safe. What you've done has taken the most courage you may ever have to have in your life. Yeah. Let us take it from here. Mm-hmm. And you see so many visual, like physical body responses of a, oh, yeah. Right. Or a lot of times it's break down. Yeah. Yeah. They've been waiting not to be tough for the last two years. Yeah. The last weekend, the last day, whatever, whatever manifested they've had to do to get themselves to this point is, mm-hmm. is raw, visceral courage. Right. That you get to see. Cause we, we, a kid shouldn't have to be that courageous. Mm-hmm. Like it breaks my heart when they have to, when a five year old has to be a grown man. Yeah. But we work in a day and age sometimes where you, like I, I, at nine, I had to be a grown man for a little bit. I yeah. had to say, like, nobody's coming to help. Yeah. Yeah. No one can help me unless I say something. Right. So no one's coming unless I step up. Yeah. So when they step up and then you get for at least a moment to say, go back to being a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. I got this. Yeah. Like that guy, he's scary. He's not anywhere close to as scary as me. <laughs> Let's go get him. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, do you talk to audiences of children and parents? Do you? Do... Yeah. Yeah. So I get, I've had, this is maybe one of the best, the, the biggest honors of this entire thing is I get to pay, like not either pay the way or to shine a light into the next generation. Like mm-hmm. Everything I do is for the next generation of survivor. Everything. Right, the right. hope, the clarity, the prevention, the advocacy, the right. fundraising, everything is, I want the next generation to have it better than my generation of a survivor. And I pray that there's a there's a future version of that and a future version of that. We're all yeah. paying it forward, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and one of the ways that manifests itself is just speaking. You get to speak a lot. There's not a ton of guys, male abuse survivors really championing that cause right now. I hope that that's, that's something that's courageous and, yeah. and contagious. I yeah. hope that that's something that's not true, maybe five a year from now. Yeah. But right now there's not a lot in that space. So I get to speak a lot Yeah, and I speak to parents. I do. I, I was the, I was the, the keynote speaker for the crimes against children conference last year, which was an amazing honor. That's the mm-hmm. biggest crimes against children conference in the nation, in the world. Yeah. It is the foremost leading conference. Uh, I speak at probably one or two conferences a month. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID, one of the silver linings of this pandemic is it's made it easy to speak because you can do sure. it all virtually. Sure. Um, so that's helped a lot. And uh, yeah, one of the main things I try to do is educate and advocate. Like I want to yeah. get the word out and I want to inform, but I also want to bring light to to a topic that everyone knows about. We're not telling anyone of your listeners something they don't know about. 
but it's not something people want to face. Yeah. 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 I do know, you know, we, the Samson society is a place where we can bring our Mm. real selves, say the real truth. We can start to, uh, excavate our own stories and allow other people to see them. And it's, it is heartbreakingly common in mm-hmm. Samson for guys who now are caught in a, a life or death struggle with compulsive sexual uh, behavior okay. to dig back into their own background mm-hmm. uh, and, um, and talk about childhood sexual abuse. It's, it's uh, heartbreakingly common. Yes. Uh, these are guys who would never be a danger to another person, never be a danger to a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their um, arousal template was so um, skewed so early, sexualized so early. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, over the ensuing years, trying consciously and unconsciously to resolve all the turmoil raised by that trauma has manifested itself sometimes in some pretty irresponsible, regretful, and, you know, sexual activity, behavior, and then guys living just with the shame of what they've done in trying to resolve it without facing it. Yeah. Right? You will lose a battle 100% of the time that you don't know you're fighting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um but you're also a pastor. What is? Do you see an intersection between your work in law enforcement and your work in the church? Absolutely, it interfaces every day. Uh huh. And I don't. That's so cliche, right? Like my faith is every day. You're like, yeah, yeah. I, people ask me all the time. I don't know how you do both of those things. Yeah. And that blows my mind yeah. because that's not in any way the lens I look at it. It's the opposite. Right. I know for a fact I could not do what I do without my faith and particularly my pastoral faith in right. my walk because you're just dealing it's it's a detective over child abuse and a pastor in a, a church made up of broken people is just dealing with brokenness at different levels and different areas in the continuum but it's just brokenness right. it's just it's just this world is is broken and and in need of a savior right and one is a very functional clinical way and one is a way that you're 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 seeing that brokenness and you're coming about it with love and support and, and scripture and hope and the other way you use that same and you funnel it so, to drive you and to give you uh endurance and yeah. sustenance because you cannot do this it's a dark world it is yeah i would love to tell you it, it's it's not as dark as you think but it's darker oh and you if you i don't i could not step into this world and take one step Without the endurance of Christ, yeah, it, yeah, it's a it's a supernatural endurance that says stay faithful. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I have talked with uh, people from NSA and the FBI and uh, people familiar with the dark web. Thank God, mm-hmm. I've never visited the dark web. It's but it's uh, there below the waterline. There's just mm-hmm. a massive amount of yeah. very dark stuff that goes on. And that I understand is where. Most child porn lives. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know where I was going with that other than I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, man, just that is, that's dark and you live with it every day. Let's talk about sitting in um, an interview room with a suspect. Okay. How does that go? 
depending on who you are, I think it goes pretty well. They probably disagree. <laughs> so I would say I, I do not have, I would say my, my interview techniques with a suspect are very unconventional mm-hmm. um, because I bring my faith in the room. Yeah. I bring my faith in the room and that shines an opportunity that uh, is not seen a lot in an abuser's life. So this abuser has a sexual bent, uh-huh. uh, pedophilia. Right. Um, one that I believe theologically, like he was born broken. He, mm-hmm. I was born broken. Right. I'm not in any way excusing what he's done, but I, I can on a, on a, on a theological level understand that we are, we are outside of the garden. Right. We are fractured. Right. So I don't bring in judgment. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not saying I'm happy about it and I may judge him outside of this room, but in that room, mm-hmm. you're a broken sinner. Right. That needs to confess and atone. Right. In a, In a worldly level. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm offering him is one or two or three hours of having a conversation where for the first time in his life, he's going to be able to tell the truth and not be judged. Uh And that is probably the only time in his life he will get that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And you would be shocked how many take it. Really? Because they know, I believe that every person bent and, and acting on their, every active pedophile, everyone bent that way and, 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 and acting on those, those sexual urges right. knows a guy like me is coming to knock on the door. Uh-huh. They're waiting for it. Yeah. And so you've already had the, okay, there's no more waiting. We're here. Right. Now we're going to sit down we're going to talk with this guy. And they feel that there's no judgment and there is some understanding because I genuinely do. Keep in mind, I'm in no way condoning this. Like my right. goal is for him to spend the rest of his life in prison. Right, right. That's right. the goal. Yeah. But the way I achieve that goal is by giving him an opportunity to talk about the thing he's most ashamed of in his life and to do so free from reproach and judgment. Yeah. And by and large, they take me up on that offer every yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's very much relieving for them, but it's also that's that's where true justice comes in. I have I now get to go out to a family and say, We got the bad guy. Mm-hmm. He can't hurt anyone else. He yeah. can't hurt your son or your daughter. Yeah. And he's gonna stand and and answer for what he's done. And there's gonna be severe consequences. Do you know what the statistics are and the number of victims, average victims per abuser? Um, they would say yes. So the answer is plus or minus two point five. But uh so you're going to say you, most abusers are going to have at least more than one. Mm-hmm. Now, victims could be like you could have one. You it, it can get a little complicated. But the short answer is more than two. Yeah. But your your first victim may be like a victim of grooming, maybe some inappropriate touching. Right. You may move on with that victim to more right. kind of assault or you may go into a different victim, hone your craft, move on. Um but you're going to break them down to, is it preferential or situational? Like, are, are you an abuser because the kids are just around you or are you preferential? You're going to go out and seek them. Right. So like, are you, wow. You're, so it, get, it gets psychological. I'll be like, I don't want to step into space. That's way over my head. I am just a, a cop from Texas. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I do not think I've interviewed anyone where we caught them on their first and last time. Well, I'll tell you back. I hope we caught them on their last time, but I don't yeah. think we've ever caught them on their first time. Uh-huh. I think that's true for crime all okay. over. Yeah. But no, I don't think there's anyone out there with just one. Yeah. But that's Tim's opinion. That's not, I have no yeah, literature yeah, on that. Yeah. And uh, Jesus uh, had a pretty, kind of, he had some pretty strong language. I mean, he really wanted to protect children. 
yeah. and had some pretty harsh things to say <laughs> yeah. about right those yeah. who would harm a child right yeah we have a sign in our uh, office says get the millstone yeah wow uh well brother this is uh this is a this is a a hard time Oh, let me ask you a question on behalf of parents. Gotcha. All right. Because uh, we get we, the, we get this question a lot mm-hmm. uh, around porn. We talk a lot about porn. How do okay. I how do I protect my kids from porn? How do I yeah. keep them safe online? Uh, what advice do you give to parents? How to protect? Uh, how to prepare? How to talk about this with their kids? And how to protect children from? Because you're you know, I mean your parents loved you well intentioned yeah. had no idea they were mm-hmm. handing you over no. to an abuser. No. Okay. So what to look for, what to do, what's your advice? Okay. Um, if you'll give me a little way to flush this out. Uh, first and foremost, you have to start with open communication in every way of parenting. So I have three kids. I love them. Mm-hmm. One of the most important things I can do for those kids, whether it has to do with abuse, bullying, the first heartbreak, yeah, the first drink of alcohol, the cigarette, whatever it is, let them know similar to our relationship with our father, mm-hmm. you're never too far gone. Right. You're, you've never taken a step too far out of bounds that, that your dad will love you unconditionally no matter what, and I need to be a place of refuge. Yes. If you can provide your, build your home into a place of refuge for your kids, because refuge equals open communication, open communication means disclosure. And that, that and to get me wrong, I, I, I pray that you never walk down the, the path of an outcry from your kid, but mm-hmm. there will be a time that something adversely affects your kids yeah. and they're going to choose to tell you or they're going to choose to hide it from you. Right. And what you can do um, to set yourself up in the best way possible is to make that moment for them clear cut. Yeah. I can go to mom and dad. Yeah. That there's not anger, there's not judgment, not resentment. That doesn't I mean that may mean you have to bite your tongue. That may mean you have to keep your mouth shut. That may be something, but you need to invite your kids into an area of safety. Like I want them, I want my kids to respect me, but at the same time, I need them just to feel unconditional love. Because where you feel safe is where you will outcry. Right. Where you feel safe is where you'll disclose, whether it be about an abuser or about a party you didn't feel comfortable at because you had to drink beer, whatever it may be, big or small, that line of communication is vital. Right. If you don't start there, you're going to be fighting symptoms for the rest of your parenting. You're going to be, because the kids are smart. You can put a safety block on their phone. You can do Mm -hmm. something, whatever. They're going to skirt you. Right. Open communications is all you can really do to make them feel comfortable and hope that they come back to talk to you about it. Outside of that, a lot of it is being aware who they're around. Access is everything. Yeah. No one can abuse your kid without access. It's, right. it's physically impossible, whether it be virtual through the internet or through physical contact. It is impossible for them to victimize your child unless they have access. So the easiest, and this is obviously a very broad and detailed topic, but to, to convey it to a palatable podcast thing is mm-hmm. access, access, access. Who has okay. access? Okay. We, one of the worst things we did in society was the stranger danger campaign. Mm-hmm. Cause that's where the danger is, is the stranger. All of my cases are known. It's, it's, it's stepdad, mom, dad, uncle, yeah. babysitter, yeah. Uh, nephew. It, it is a vicarious threat to your family. Right. And it may not be your biological mom, your biological dad. That may be your story. It may not, but it is someone that you know and feel comfortable. Someone that has access. So as your parent, I tell parents every day, most likely you're doing the best you can and mm-hmm. you love your kids de- dearly. 
No one knows your kids like you. No one knows your kid's situation, your family dynamic, their school. No one knows anything like you. God gave you a gut, and that gut's telling you something. Mm-hmm. Open your eyes, see who has access, and go with your gut. Yeah. And, and that, that honestly, that's that, that seems oversimplistic. But if you realize who the actual threat is, which it's not the boogeyman in the van, that does happen. It's on a very, very low statistical probability. Yeah. The reality is uh, an older cousin, an, an older an older half-sibling, a stepdad or whatever. And I'm not trying to tr- trigger anyone with mm-hmm. pointing out relationships. They're like, no, that would never happen. I'm saying that's what I've seen. Yeah. And that is who we have to be weary of is people who have access to our kids. Yeah. That, that, that's that's true for all forms yeah. of potential evil, right. but especially in child abuse. If they can't isolate and groom your kid, it gets significantly harder to ever abuse them. Right. Wow. Wow. Well, um, you guys are taking uh, meetings now uh, around outcry concepts. Talk to us. Talk to me a little bit about outcry. So outcry, yes, sir. So outcry concepts is a a company that me and uh, my counterpart here, Chris Burgess, started about conceptually two years ago and functionally uh, about a year ago, where we realized that. Kind of like you said, I started speaking. Mm-hmm. I started uh, being what you'd consider like probably an industry leader in that topic of, of speaking, advocating, yeah, yeah. educating. And it became aware to us that we are stepping into space, whether we knew it or not, and we wanted to do it well. Yeah, We didn't want to just shoot off the cuff and talk to people here and there or, or just yeah. be unstructured and unplanned. We thought, no, we, we had the opportunity to steward this story. Because I, I genuinely don't view this as Tim's story. This is the story that God used to form Tim, and this is God's story. Yeah. And if you actually believe that, then you have to get intentional. Yeah. And we believe it. So we got intentional. We started a company called Outcry Concepts. Um, through that, uh, we're in the beginning stages of writing a book. Um, we have a few chapters written. We've actually released uh, one chapter. If anyone's interested uh, about that chapter or the related documentary, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll tell you about it in a second. You can go to outcryconcepts.com. That's why you need a handler. <laughs> My wife was dead set on me not doing this unless Chris was in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, He's yeah. like, dude, don't you do this. So go to outcryconcepts.com. That's where you can see. You can sign up for our mail, email list. Through that, you will get the first chapter um, and the documentary. So we're in the beginning works of taking meetings to get the, the, the book published. And those have been just beyond blessings this week. Okay. Th- those meetings have like, – I'm in awe. Like I'm trying not to tear up. Like the yeah. amount of support – and the amount of people who are rallying around this project just because they know the church needs it, yeah, humanity needs it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you suggesting that child abuse happens in the church? Well, mine, mine did. So I assume. So these are all church stories. Uh, okay. Yeah, all the right. church is the church is not immune from the brokenness of so humanity. We got to talk about it. We need to talk about it. And right. I do a lot of talking about it in the church, and I think we're, I want to say we're trending the right way. We're talking about it. I don't feel like uh, we're as uh, ignorant as maybe we were a decade or two decades mm-hmm. ago, but it's definitely, you have to acknowledge brokenness when yeah. you talk about abuse. And that's not where we have traditionally mm-hmm. uh, knocked it out of the park in some of those, uh, some of those areas. So we're, we're, we're trying to have a conversation yeah, and we're trying to use the story that God's given us to steward to give that conversation some much needed credence. Yeah. It's hard to look at me and tell me I'm not, you're not, I'm not sure that's happening as much as you say it is. Like, ah, <laughs> this is the, this is my, this is my life's work. I disagree. Yeah. And uh, I think we're getting to a place in our culture where I don't think you're going to get a lot of pushback on, is it happening or not? Yeah. It's just a topic that it's hard to look you in the eye and talk about. Yeah. And sure. our goal is through 
defeating the isolation, which your community mm-hmm. does an amazing job of, or defeating the the stigma of yeah. your abuse so you're broken. Now, yeah. I'm not broken. Yeah. I'm scarred, but I'm not broken. Yeah. Like, yeah. like scar wow. is a healing term. Yeah. Broken is a disheveled term. I'm right. not disheveled. Mm-hmm. I'm healing. Yeah. Yeah. And and for us to use some of those words, change the narrative, get us back on track to what, what God intended and said, like, we can have these conversations because we are all broken men and women that need a savior. And part of those conversations, I think, are going to lead to greater forms of healing. So even we, we, we've met with some publishers this week and it's been it's been beautiful. It's been crazy. I mean, I'm in a surreal shock of just people's support. <laughs> um so that book uh, is in the process of getting made. And uh, while we started off with a book, so this all started with a book idea. Um, yeah. Mostly, I think, is maybe the most cathartic thing I've ever done is me and Chris got together. We're, we, we've known each other for 15 years mm-hmm. um, or longer. Um, and we got together, and he is an, a brilliant writer. Yes. So we're co-doing this. And I am the opposite <laughs> of a brilliant writer. Um, I got a face for podcast and the ability to write that would bring no one to the table. So Chris is, is vital. So we started this company. He's, he's writing beautifully. And then through this, we thought the, the opportunity of a documentary came up. Yeah. So we have, uh, we filmed some of that and we've put, uh, some of that out there and, and the support for that documentary to speak in yeah. to some of the darkest topics mm. and to see people say like, yes, that's, your story is my story. Your story is my sister's story. Your sister yeah. is my mom's story. My dad to say like this is not an isolated incident of a wow moment of trauma. This is this is in us as society. If you look at the numbers of who's abused and who gets the ripple effect of abuse, this will speak to everyone. You either have been or know someone that's been abused, just mathematically. Yeah. And and we were talking about today in some of our meetings, an abuser has a ripple effect on the family unless healing takes place. My abuser didn't just abuse me, he abused my parents. Yeah. He didn't, he's never even met my wife, but he has done things that have ripple affected on her. Yeah. And right. if you don't take control of that, and if you don't start the healing process with that, you're going to give an abuser a lifetime of power. Yeah. 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 That's unacceptable. Yeah. And we're going to, we're, we're in the process of, of taking that back. Wow. Um, and I think the documentary is going to speak to a lot of people that see if, if God, if in the darkest of depravity, yeah, God's hope is the most savage. It is sustaining mm. and wherever you think you are, you're not too far gone. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm out of the pit. But I'm a lot closer to the top than I was. Uh-huh. And uh, it's been a great honor to say, hey, we're all in the pit at some point, And let's see if we can get out. Wow. Well, for those who want to follow this story, stay with you, uh, lend encouragement or support one form or another. The best way to connect is probably to get on the mailing list. And uh, the way to do that is to go to outcryconcepts.com. So you already said it better than me. Okay. Welcome to the team. <laughs> we really, really appreciate it. Well, Tim Roundtree, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment.
And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, uh, good redemption story. Good practical thoughts on not allowing access to your kids or being very careful with access. Yeah. Um, which is which is hard. I mean, I'm thinking yeah. of a friend of mine that that happened with a Sunday school teacher. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's there's a lot of responsibility churches need to take for who is with kids at churches and schools. Obviously, it's it's complicated. Yeah, and yeah, we can yeah. only do the best we can. And yeah, but there's there's a whole another side that you guys didn't talk about, and we we used to talk about it fairly regularly, and we haven't for a long time, which is what parents need to understand about online access because i honestly of the the handful of children uh issues i've gone through in the last 10 years it started online every time the grooming started online yeah yeah um so do you have any thoughts on this before i kick straight into a list off of a children's health dot gov site no 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 go straight to the list man all right uh first thing they suggest is to talk openly with your child about their online activity so agree oh my gosh and kids love to think if you don't set this up early kids think this is this is their privacy that they're owed privacy which is true to some degree and it increases as they get older but what's the average age of exposure to porn these days? Like 10 years old for boys? Yeah, eight or nine, actually. Oh, is it gone down to eight or nine? Every yeah, time we talk yeah. about this, it, yeah. Yeah. So when kids are young, A, that's a huge thing, isn't it? Parents yeah. don't think that this is a teenage thing, so you don't have to talk about it till they're like 13 or 14. You will have missed the boat. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to talk about it and find an appropriate way because here, okay, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Nate. There is an impossible line where when you're talking eight or nine years old, the kids don't even understand sexuality yet. Right, right. But you hopefully. have to, you yes, hopefully. But you have to bring it up before they're exposed. So now you're walking this awkward line of you're the one introducing the information they're not ready for <laughs> so that the internet doesn't introduce stuff they're not ready for. Right, right, right. That's yeah. complicated. Yeah. So yeah. go ahead. And give me your thoughts. Yeah, and I don't I, I don't know that you need to go all the way into the details of Absolutely. Uh, you know, human reproduction. However, what you do what what I think we can do, and I'm I you know, I'm doing this now as a granddad not, rather than as a dad, to to um, do a, a a rough outline of the conversation and make it plain that when you are, uh, when this conversation starts, whoever starts it, um, I am the, I am a safe person for you to talk with and I will give you straight information and there will be no shame and we will talk it through. Don't push a kid into a conversation he or she is not ready to have but make it plain that you are just ready to have that conversation at a moment's notice and it's going to be good. Yeah. The other thing is the warning. I know for my kids, because they would play video games that now have like live multiplayers or yeah things like that. Um, well, this goes to the second 
piece of advice, which is keep screens and devices where you can see them. Mm-hmm. So the conversation with the kids was anytime there are other people in these situations, there are very possibly bad people. And it doesn't matter that they say they're your age. If somebody starts talking to you, they're still a stranger. Yeah. And so we had a lot of stranger talks. And I was always aware if the kids were playing a video game and they were wanting to do it with their friends because, you know, that's part of their thing. I want to get together with my friends and play this video game. Okay, but our other people, like we would talk about who else is in here? Who else are you talking to? Have you made a friend that you haven't actually met? And so those those were important conversations that they knew those weren't private things. They weren't going to yeah. have secret friends online. Right. Yeah, and and that has nothing to do with having sexual conversations. That's just stranger danger conversations that elementary school kids should be having with their parents. Right, right. Although Tim did, you know, let's not forget that Tim made the point that that most uh, perpetrators are not strangers, but people we know well. And I think that is very true for in-person child abuse. Yeah, yeah. I think it's not as true for online. Uh, right. Predators. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Uh, so know your parental <laughs> controls. Your kids are going to have devices and it will be annoying for most of us parents. It certainly was for me to have to figure out their stupid device so that I could say like, nope, there's not going to be an internet browser on here. Uh, I need to know that if my kid has Facebook, that even though I've taken a browser out, there might be a link that they can get to the internet through right, other yeah. apps. So, yeah, you have to know your parental controls on not just the devices, but the apps. And yeah, if, if yeah. you don't take the time to do that, you are basically, I guarantee you, as your kids get more curious, they will find the loopholes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll fail at this. At some point, probably, your kids still might find a loophole, and that's where the conversation you had, Nate, which is, okay, if you start going, looking at something that you're embarrassed to talk about, how do I lower that shame level Right. so that we can keep having a conversation? Uh, Number four is know who your children's online friends are, which was kind of goes into Mm -hmm. the first one. Uh, five, be share aware to protect your privacy. And what they're talking about is sometimes kids don't think about if they have Facebook or Instagram or whatever, that if they don't have their settings right, they're sharing tons of information with anybody Mm -hmm. out there. And so they need, we first need to be aware of that and then make them aware. No, if you are going to have this app to connect with your friends and some parents are like, no, you don't need any of those apps. Some parents don't care either way. They need to know this is for you and these friends at this time in your life. This isn't for extra people. And here are the settings we're going to do. So others don't get in on that. And you're not going to just say, well, this friend has another friend, so I'll make them my friend. It needs to be people we know. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, number six, keep control of your family's digital footprint, which is the exact same thing. 
Um, it's just how much stuff are you putting out there? And that can be for parents that can open the door for putting too much information out there, but they're putting the information and pictures of their kids and they don't realize that they're opening doors for predators. Uh, so be aware of it. Um, teach your children to keep their location private. This is huge. Again, yeah. you have to know the apps, but there are plenty of apps that whatever picture is going to say where it is. I mean, some apps give way too much information to whomever yeah. needs it. Um, keep track of online time. Oh, for Pete's sake. Yes. Um, there are recommendations all around. There's been a lot of studies on this with mental health for kids. And less than two hours of screen time a day is definitely recommended. Um, and and often not more than 30 minutes per session of sitting there looking at a screen. So, yeah, we can control that. The kids fight against it because all their friends go home and play all night, Dad. Why can't I? Uh, keep track of that time. And, oh, their last one is lead by example, which is we need to be safe. We need to be aware. Are we sitting down as parents in the evening and just staring at our phone on the couch while everybody's doing stuff around us? Well, we're teaching our kids that that's, that's normal life and that's not mm. real life. Yeah. And the last thing you can do is be aware of filters and apps that help you keep your family safe. Um, we have used Bark Alert, where when your kids type in anything or any image comes up it, that seems like it might be inappropriate, which can include Spotify music and YouTube, then it will send you an alert. Um, but there are certainly other, other apps. What are some of the apps that you know? We've talked about lots of times on the show. Well... You know the uh, the platinum is covenant is eyes. Co covenant eyes, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, oh gosh, X, X X three watch, X three watch. Yep. Oh golly, uh, there's a new one that we're going to put on the site here shortly, and I'm trying. I'm struggling to. I'm struggling to come up with the name of it. Uh, I'll give it to you, and we'll put it in the show notes. Another okay. free one that's kind of in beta. Uh, then, uh, yeah, uh, the one. I, what I like about this one is you can you can kind of make a contract with your ally or accountability partner for how much time you're going to spend on any on, on any given app, mm -hmm. and then it'll send alert if you if you are using that app more than you said you would, or at a time when you said you wouldn't. Mm. Yeah. And th that's another lead by example, right? I think it's always been great with the kids to say, all right, we're setting this up on your computer. I've set it up on my computer that it's, it's not just treating them like kids as they get to yeah. their teen years where they're like, this is my world. You can't, you can't mess with it. Like, no, this is what we all do. And here's why this is why yeah. it keeps us safe in our minds and our hearts. So uh, it's, these are just conversations need to be had. And I fully feel for the parents that are maybe having young elementary school kid 
artists and they're thinking, oh my gosh, this sounds like so much work. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. It kind of yeah. is. But, oh, for those those kids that I know that got sucked into this and a couple of them that actually uh, were groomed enough that they they were basically kidnapped at the ages they were at, but they did it willingly because that door was open to their lives. Yeah. 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 So be aware parents, this is the world we're in and man, do I appreciate the conversation today that helps, helps us all stay aware. Yeah. yeah. Being responsible for our precious cargo here in life. Well, uh, I think we have come Aaron to the end of the hour. Uh, a difficult conversation, but a vital one. So grateful uh, that uh, God arranged it in such a way that I was able to intersect with Tim Roundtree and he could uh, and then talk to our entire community. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap for this week. We've got more stuff coming up. Another episode coming down the pike. Uh, uh, a, a great conversation with Teresa McBean. Until then, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are... Your pal on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>